What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Clips Combo. So I'm your host, Joey Lynn, and I want to apologize for being gone for the last couple of weeks. I got sick around two weeks ago when I was about to record. Seems like something's going around LA right now. I mean, even just really around uh, the United States, it seems like people are getting sick left and right, especially in the NBA. Uh, you're seeing players getting regularly held out of the lineup due to non-COVID-related illnesses and things of that nature. Uh, it got me as well. So I was under the weather for about a week, and then Christmas rolled around. I was feeling a little bit better when I was supposed to record that Monday. But not only was the studio closed, but I just had so much going on with the holidays, so I decided not to record then as well. And while I would normally wait to just give you guys another episode on Monday, I was feeling bad about not being around uh, on on the podcast the last couple of weeks. I know I don't have the largest audience. It's not like it's thousands and thousands of people waiting, you know, to hear from me. But, you know, with everything that's been going on with the Clippers over the last couple of weeks, I feel like there's just too much to break down for me to wait any longer to give you guys another episode. So for those of you who have reached out and asked me where I've been, I appreciate you because, uh, you know, that shows that you're tapped in and, and actually care about the episodes. And that's something that means a lot to me. Um, and that goes for anybody who just listens in general. If you are here listening to this episode and wondering, you know, where I've been, it means a lot that you're a regular listener. So I appreciate everyone uh, who's been waiting on the next episode. And here it is. I'm not going to go uh, with too much structure on this one since it's not my usual, you know, weekly, uh, you know, structure where we're going to break down the gains that we have had in between the last time that I was on here and the ones that we will have in between this episode and the next episode. Just too much time has passed in between the last episode and this episode. So I'm going to riff for about a half hour. I barely even got any notes. I just kind of have a few key points that I want to break down, things that people have brought up uh, both on my timeline and in my DMs, things like that. Uh, because like I said, I do believe there are quite a few things that have happened and have transpired since the last time I hopped on here that that need addressing and that people have questions about. And I think I can you know, provide some clarity and some answers uh, to a lot of that. And really to begin, it, it's with Ty Lue's rotations, right? I think that's been one of the main things that has come up uh, on Clippers Twitter over the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's something that people have asked me directly about, like, hey, Joey, do you know exactly what's going on with this guy? Uh, do you know why Ty has gone with, you know, this combination? And uh, it's one of those things that, you know, for me, I do have a little bit of an ability to to feel some things out and ask around and try to figure out exactly what's going on. But as I've said on this pod several times, uh, myself, along with all the other reporters, we're kind of just at the mercy of the answers that we get, right? Like we can ask follow-up questions like, hey, you know, why is Rocco not playing? And Ty could give us an answer and we could follow up by saying, well, you know, do you think he's going to be part of the rotation going forward? And then Ty could say, well, you know, we're kind of just feeling some things out right now. And then there you just don't have much of an answer. So for those of you who want more clarity, I get it. And I think a lot of us are in that boat. And I'm going to do my best to try to get some of that once the Clippers come back. But another thing on that point is I don't travel on the road. Uh, I unfortunately am not in a position right now to travel with the Clippers as a reporter. Uh, LA Times sends their guy, ESPN, I believe, sends their guy, and The Athletic does as well. Uh, but with SI having so many reporters for so many different teams, uh, as of right now, at least that's just not something that uh, is available to me unless I was you know, willing to pay out of pocket, and that's just not realistic. So um, I'm not on the road with the Clippers. I would love to be eventually. I would say maybe that's a goal of mine by next year you know, maybe sometime down the road to be one of those guys who's at every single game, even on the road. 
but I'm not right now. So when certain things happen, whether that be in Boston, um, you know, Indiana with the game tomorrow or, or some of the games that have gone on uh, over the this past road trip, I would love to ask some of the questions that you guys have, that I have, and, and I think that are shared amongst the fan base, but unfortunately I'm just not there. So um, just wanted to clear that up for those of you, if you see me, you know, kind of on the timeline asking questions about what's going on with certain rotations, and you're like, why is this dude asking questions? He could literally ask the coach. Well, I can, but not until they get back uh, to Staples Center or crypto, whatever you want to call it, and then I'm in the building and, and can ask those questions. But, you know, until that happens, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as a lot of you guys. Um, but going back to what I said, when it comes to ties rotations, there is one thing that I wanted to bring up before we actually get into like the nitty gritty on what's been going on, you know, certain things that I disagree with, certain questions that people have had. Uh, there is one thing that I do want to make clear, and I think I've talked about it on this podcast before, but I want to reiterate it again because I think it's especially relevant with what has gone on over the last couple of weeks. Before the season started, I was out of practice, and Ty Lue always speaks at every single practice, and the handful of reporters that we have there I have an opportunity to ask him a question or two. And one of the questions I had before the season was about something that Ty Lue had talked about last year, and it was the sample sizes that he uses to make decisions about rotations and other things like that. And last year, as a lot of you guys know, he was going on 10-game sample sizes. Every 10 games, he was reevaluating the data, the eye test, all of the things that go into the decisions that head coaches make, and he was making adjustments based upon those 10-game sample sizes. Now, before the season started, I asked Ty, I said, are you going to be sticking with these 10-game sample sizes this year, or is it going to be different with guys in and out of the lineup and with Kawhi on a minutes restriction and all these different things that you have to manage? And he said it's going to be much different this year. He said it's going to be a lot longer of a sample size before I start to make these adjustments because we have so many moving pieces. And with the Clippers only having Kawhi in the starting lineup for, I believe, 13 games, that's only a 13-game sample size of your best player in the starting group. So even if Ty was going by the 10-game sample size that he was going by last year, and he told me that it's going to be a little bit more extended this year, we already would have not seen a whole lot of alteration to the rotation and to the lineups just strictly based on the fact that Kawhi has only been in the starting lineup for 13 total games this season. And another thing that Ty mentioned recently is that he wants to see the Clippers get 15 straight games of their fully healthy roster intact. Well, they've only had four total all season. And I believe I did the math earlier. If they continue at this pace, they're not even going to get to 15 total all season long, let alone 15 in a row. So, of course, you know, that's the hope they can get on a hot streak of good health. But as of right now, that hasn't been the case. So you guys know if you follow me on Twitter, I'll be the first to say when rotations don't make sense and when certain things need to change. But I also do want to give Ty Lue a little bit of slack here because he was open, at least to me specifically before the season, about the sample size that he was trying to use this year as opposed to last year and how it was going to be much bigger simply based on the fact that so many guys, including your best player in Kawhi Leonard, are regularly in and out of the lineup. So for that reason, I am not going to get up here and say that Ty Lue needs to go. Ty Lue has changed. He is no longer the same coach that he once was because I do think that he is just taking more time than a lot of, uh, than a lot of us would like for him to take 
with some of these adjustments because the sample size is still so relatively small with Kawhi being in and out of the lineup so often this year. So I wanted to break that down first because I think it uh, it provides some really relevant context to a lot of what we've seen this year. But again, that doesn't change the fact that some of the decisions being made right now are really hurting the Clippers' chances to win games. And one of the biggest, in my opinion, is their multi-three to four guard lineups that we are seeing now almost on a nightly basis. It has been one of the most baffling things to me so far this year because in the offseason, we were sold on the wing stock group, right? We were sold on this ample wing depth that the Clippers had. And Kevin Durant even joked in the offseason, he said the Clippers are hoarding all the wings in the NBA right now with guys like, you know, Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, Nicholas Batum, Terrence Mann, of course, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Just up and down their roster, they are loaded with wings. And we thought that that's something they would lean heavily into. But for whatever reason, it's been quite the opposite. They have been leaning into smaller groups, even with their inherent small ball that they have to rely on because they don't have a playable backup center. They have combined those already small groups with even smaller iterations of small ball by playing multi-guard lineups. And that's something that I think has really hurt them so far this year. And it's honestly been quite a shock to me because when I was at training camp, one of the primary takeaways that I had, and this was of course before the season was that the Clippers were comfortable playing small ball because they had so many bigger wings that they could surround these small ball groups with. So even though you didn't have a traditional center on the court, you still had bigger bodies out there in guys like Terrence Mann, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, of course, Robert Covington. Uh, You know, Marcus Morris is not much of a rebounder, but he could be a a 3-4 in some of those groups. And it's one of those things that I thought could actually work well, because while you're technically small without a backup center, you're bigger in some of the other spots because you have guys that are so long, so athletic. Um, you know, six, 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 seven, six, eight iterations of, you know, guard, guard slash forwards that the Clippers have on this roster. And I think it, you know, is something we expected to see, but unfortunately haven't seen much of yet this season. And also disclaimer, I'm recording at my house right now instead of at the studio because this was just kind of an impromptu episode. So if you hear backup noise or background noise, like a garage door opening or a dog barking in the background, uh, I apologize in advance. But that's one of the main things that I've seen so far this season that has really confused me. It's been not just the small ball, because we knew the small ball was coming, but it's been like the extra small ball with multi-guard lineups. And, you know, I think uh, it's it's tough to to kind of go away from at this point for Ty. And, and again, you guys know I'm the first to say when certain things don't make sense, but I also want to try to contextualize things a bit. I think part of the reason why it's tough for Ty to go away from is because for whatever reason, you know, I actually don't want to say that because that's disingenuous on my part. I don't want to say for whatever reason. I know the reason. Um, It's because guys like Reggie Jackson, um, you know, guys like Marcus Morris um, have been Ty's guys over the last couple of seasons and have won in big games and have have made big plays and big moments. And now there is a level of... um. I don't really know the right word to use, but you guys kind of get see what I'm getting at here. There's kind of a, a level of seniority there where these guys who have been around are kind of grandfathered in to like 30 minutes a night and, and to the closing lineup and certain things like that for right or for wrong. So I think that's kind of what's happening right now. But I am going to say with 
the very real threat of potentially being wrong, I do think certain things like that will change. If it were Doc Rivers, I would be a lot less confident in that. But Ty Lue has shown the ability and the willingness over the last couple of seasons to make difficult decisions in big-time moments. So with you know Kawhi Leonard only being in the starting lineup for 13 games, I'm not ready to sit up here and say that Ty Lue is going to continue sticking with losing formulas all the way into the playoffs, and it will ultimately be the Clippers' detriment. But for those of you who have that concern, I think that is completely valid because in the 2019-20 season, I made a YouTube video about how I thought the Clippers, Doc Rivers and the Clippers were playing possum by not showing their hand with some of these very confusing groups that he was throwing out on a nightly basis and some of the very obvious changes that, in my eyes, needed to be made but weren't being made. I thought it was a situation where Doc was just going to ride that out and then when it really mattered in the playoffs, he would go away from it. Well, I looked like an idiot because that did not happen. He stuck with the same groups and it was the Clippers downfall. So if you lived through that, you are 100% valid in having the exact same concerns with Ty Lue and this Clippers group, even though we've seen Ty Lue make some pretty big time adjustments in big time moments. I understand your concern and to an extent I share it as well. But I'm just not going that full extra mile and saying that, you know, if it's not happening right now, it's not going to happen in a few months from now or in the playoffs. I am holding out a little bit more optimism that whether it be the front office stepping in and making a move or Ty Lue just simply taking a look at a much larger sample size a few months down the road and saying this is no longer working. We have to make a change. I have a little bit more optimism that he's going to do that, although I do understand why it hasn't happened till this point. Although I do, I disagree with, I disagree with the thought process, but I understand why that's the case. If hopefully that makes sense, that was kind of a mouthful there. Um, not sure if that exactly got across, but from what I'm trying to say, I understand why certain things haven't happened and why certain negative trends continue to persist. But I just I disagree with the reasoning behind that if that if that kind of makes sense so I believe that the Clippers should be making some of these moves now with the sample size being what it is and with what Ty Lue told me at the beginning of the season I understand why we haven't seen that yet but it does bring up in my eyes a really important and relevant counterpoint one that I think I subscribe to and one that I think a lot of people in the Clippers fan base subscribe to, is that, okay, yeah, that's great. Let's let's give Ty Lue the benefit of the doubt and say that the Clippers are going to make the necessary changes to their rotations when it matters most. Well, the question now is, where are the Clippers in the standings when that becomes a discussion? Because as of right now, they're in a decent spot in the fourth seed, especially considering, they, considering they've only been fully healthy for four games. But if they continue to lose winnable games by sticking with losing methods, you are going to continue to drop further and further down the Western Conference standings, where as we've seen in previous years, one or two losses can be the difference between essentially a first-round bye by beating up on one of the very weak teams coming out of the play-in tournament, or it can be the difference between having to go seven games with Luka. That is a big difference, and we have seen it in previous seasons the difference between that, getting to face a, I mean, probably a team that's going to be close to 500, who had to go through the play-in tournament, getting to face them, 
or having to face a player like Luka. The difference between those two first-round series can be one to two losses, and the Clippers have already suffered quite a few of those losses that should have been wins. So I completely understand the idea and the frustration that a lot of you guys have with not chasing as many wins as you could early in the season because you're continuing to, putting my fingers in quotes, feel things out with certain groups that I think we've seen enough from to know they don't work. So I believe that that is a completely valid criticism. If I had to pick a side, I'm with you guys on that. I think with the Western Conference being the way it is, so jumbled up right now, you have to find a way to separate yourselves and get a top three seed, preferably top two, and get to play one of those teams coming out of the play-in tournament. That's where I'm at, and I understand why that's where a lot of you guys are at as well, because in my opinion, that is the best path forward, although I don't believe we're going to get that until at least maybe a month or two longer down the line, if ever. So it's a, a tough situation right now. The frustration is warranted, and I share quite a bit of it. So that is the conversation around the rotations right now, but that's a conversation about the players that are currently on the roster. I want to now pivot into a different conversation, which is about players not on the Clippers roster and potential trade targets that they may be looking at in just a couple of months. Because if you look at the recent history of this Clippers front office, they have made a major trade every single season. 2018, they dealt away Blake Griffin. After signing a four-year extension, excuse me, five-year extension to be a Clipper for life, they dealt him, brought in Tobias Harris and a bunch of other pieces. The next year, they flipped Tobias. Next year after that, they bring in Marcus Morris. Next year after that, they flipped Lou Williams for Rondo. Horrible deal still to this day, even though Lou was a little bit washed. He should have stayed on that team. Next year after that, they make a big deal to bring in Robert Covington and Norman Powell. And another trade that I missed because it happened in the offseason with the Pat Bev trade just the year prior. So the last five seasons, the Clippers have made pretty significant deals at every single trade deadline. So if you're going to convince me that they're not going to do that at this year's trade deadline, they better be like solidly in the first seed by the time the trade deadline rolls around for that to be justified and for that to make sense. Um, you know, relative to what they've done over the last several seasons. So I do believe trades are coming, especially because there is at least one glaring hole in the roster, and that is at backup center. You guys know I am a big fan of Musa Diabate. I would love to see the Clippers give him a real chance to win that spot, but unfortunately, I don't believe that's going to happen, which is why I've kind of slowed my role on calling for Musa minutes because at what point does it become ridiculous? Like it just, it's pretty clear what they're trying to do with Musa right now. If they had plans to have him maybe try to win the backup center spot, that likely would have started already. I don't think we've seen the last of Musa in the NBA this season. I do think if something happens to Zoo or if even some of their, you know, front court pieces uh, get banged up, I would expect him to be back up with the team at some point. But as far as him becoming an actual rotation piece this season, I think the writing's on the wall. They would rather have him develop in the G League and continue to kill down there, get a ton of reps, a ton of confidence, and, and really develop into maybe a player that could help them as early as next season. So because of that, I do think the Clippers are going to target a backup center in the trade market, and I don't think it's going to be a relatively hard deal to make because the Clippers do have some pretty uh, tradable pieces 
on their team right now. One name that's already come up in trade rumors uh, already to this point, we're at the end of December, is John Wall. John Wall is a player who I think a lot of Clipper fans really want to work out, um, myself included. I'm a big fan of him. I have been since I was a kid. He's a pleasure to be around. Um, always gracious with us in the locker room. And, you know, he's my pro. I got a picture of myself and him as my profile picture on Twitter. I'm a big John Wall guy, and I would love to see him work out with this Clippers team. But uh, so far, unfortunately, it just hasn't looked like the best fit. I think early in the season, we saw flashes of what we hoped he would be able to bring, and that was pushing the pace, finding open shooters, a, a level of transition play that the Clippers haven't had in the Kawhi and PG era. But for whatever reason, over the last month or so, it seems like he's gotten away from that a little bit, whether that's a physical thing or whether it's a mental thing with him still kind of trying to prove himself. He's been settling a lot more, uh, both in transition and in the half court. Uh, the turnovers have gone up quite a bit. And uh, just the overall fit uh, has just been a negative impact on the court for the Clippers, and the numbers would affirm that. But uh, I'm not giving up on him. I think that he still can bring utility to this team and perhaps a smaller role that he has gotten uh, to this point in the season. But if the Clippers feel as if it makes sense to move on from him, and I, I do think there's a case for that as well, especially with guys like Luke Kennard and Terrence Mann both needing more minutes, he is an easy player to flip because he is making around $6.5 million right now. And he is a he has a team option for next season, essentially making him an expiring deal. So the Clippers could package him, uh, you know, in some draft capital or him and a young piece for a backup center. Or if they wanted to go a little bit bigger, they could package John with Robert Covington's $12 million salary and bring in a more expensive piece, which gets me into my next conversation topic, which is a little bit away from the backup center. And that is a name that recently just came up on the Zach Lowe podcast, and that is Bogdanovich from the Pistons. Now, Bogdanovich is a player who has really uh, kind of proven himself as a, a certified bucket this season. He's averaging 20 points per game, almost 21 points per game for the Detroit Pistons. He's doing it on like 48-40-90 split, so he's right there on the cusp of 50-40-90. And it's been impressive because he's really the focal point of the opposing defense uh, every single night because he's the best player on that Detroit Pistons team with Kate Cunningham hurt. And uh, the reason why I don't want to talk too much more about the backup center situation is because I think it's pretty straightforward. Like the Clippers give a, a filler, you know, expiring deal like John, package that with a young piece and, you know, uh, a pick or one or the other, and they bring in, you know, choose your backup center, right? There's, there's a lot of them on the market. Um, so I think that's pretty straightforward and I do expect that to happen. But if the Clippers were to make more of a splash, then Bogdanovich is 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 a piece that makes sense, right? Like you know, you might be asking me, Joey, the Clippers already have so many wings. Why would they try to bring in another? Well, if you use some of that wing depth that they have right now, like a player like Robert Covington who's already fallen out of the rotation, um, you know, and you pair it with a contract like John Walls or you know one of the young pieces that the Clippers have. You're, you're trading out two or three pieces and bringing in one, which naturally just opens up more minutes on the roster, especially if you if, if you include Wall for players like Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard. And I, I talked about that in the article that I wrote tonight when I, I broke down the potential Bogdanovich deal. Uh, I don't think it's something that I like really expect to happen, but I think it makes sense why his name has been brought up because he would be a talent upgrade over who the Clippers are starting uh, alongside Kawhi Leonard and Paul George right now. He's a better player than Marcus Morris is. 
Uh, he could do a lot more than Marcus Morris. I think they're probably pretty equal in terms of, of defense. Neither one of them are really going to be a stopper, but you know, next to Kyler and Paul George, not exactly what you need. So I think his name makes sense. And I understand why Lowe brought it up, uh, whether that's super sourced or just something that he kind of sees. I think it makes sense either way. Um, so definitely keep an eye on that. Me personally, I wouldn't be entirely against it if the package was right, as long as you're not giving up like man, canard, um, or any of those super valuable pieces. Uh, if it could be, you know, workable with like wall, Rocco, maybe throw in a player like Brandon or instead of Brandon, uh, picks instead, you know, that that might make a little bit of sense. Whether or not Detroit would entertain that, well, we don't really know what they're looking for in exchange for him. So that's certainly something to monitor. So that's the trade situation right now. I don't expect the Clippers to make a super blockbuster deal uh, for a third star or anything like that, but I do expect them to find a backup center, whether that be in the buyout market, one of the available free agents right now, or via trade, and I would not be surprised to see them you know, at the deadline, if it's still one of those situations where guys like Reggie and Wall are getting a ton of minutes and it's just not being productive for the front office to step in and say, okay, it's time to pivot here and make a deal like the Bogdanovich one that not only gives you a talent upgrade, but also frees up some minutes for guys like Luke and Terrence. So we'll see what happens, but I definitely would say keep an eye on the trade market because the Clippers have been active every single year over the last five, six seasons. And before I sign off, and you know, I'm going to keep this episode pretty short because I am going to go to the studio again on Monday and do my standard pod, but I wanted to give you guys something tonight because it's been too long. I wanted to end this pod with some good news. The good news in my eyes is that Kawhi Leonard looks like Kawhi Leonard. Don't listen to Brian Windhorse. You know what's funny? I'm going to give you guys an interesting uh, little story about that Windhorse thing. I'm sure a lot of you guys saw it. Uh, Brian Windhorse went on ESPN, and he said that Kawhi Leonard is not moving well. Uh, he said he would be concerned if he were the Clippers because Kawhi Leonard does not look like he's moving very good. And it was funny because Windhorse was at the last two Clippers games before he said that, or he was at least at one of them. And the reason why I know is because he was sitting right next to me. I can't make this up. He was sitting right next to me, third row back in the media seats. He was on the aisle. I was the second seat in. I was sitting right next to him. And it was funny because Windhorse was moving back and forth. He was at his seat for, you know, maybe a few minutes, and then he would go back to the media room, you know, maybe hop on a call, shoot some texts, you know, interact with different people. I don't know what he was doing back there. But he actually wasn't at his seat that much. And I, I don't know how much he was watching when he wasn't at his seat, um, but he couldn't have been watching that closely because I was watching the exact same game that he was. And to me, Kawhi looked great. Yeah, his shot was maybe a little flat, which is to be expected. But, you know, he was still attacking the rim, still flying around defensively. And really, all things considered, looked like Kawhi. So it was hilarious to me when Windhorse went on ESPN and said that because he was literally seated right next to me at the two games he was referencing, but he wasn't at his seat all that much at all. So I'm not sure how much attention he was paying uh, because I was watching the same game that he was watching and I was watching it for a lot longer than he was because I stayed in my seat and he was up moving around doing different things. So again, I'm not sure how much of those games he caught, but uh, we certainly have a different opinion on what we saw those two nights. So uh, very interesting there with the wind horse thing. But uh, since he went on ESPN and said that Kawhi Leonard has been dominant, he has had a 30 point game. He's had multiple games in the 20s. I think the most important thing is that he has been consistently eclipsing 30 plus minutes a night 
which is highly, highly encouraging if you're a Clippers fan. So that's good. Uh, the, the good piece of uh, that's the first good piece of news that I have for you guys. The second one is that while the Clippers have only had four total games fully healthy, they have been at least hovering around full health for the last week or so. Like, for example, tomorrow's game, they have both Nicholas Batum and Reggie Jackson listed as questionable. Both of those guys seemed a little bit hobbled in the game against Boston, but both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are good to go, as is everybody else uh, besides Reggie and Nico. We'll find out shortly before the game if they're good to go. But, uh, you know, some of the previous games where the Clippers were close to full health, it was like just John Wall who was out. So while they haven't been like a fully loaded, clean slate injury report for more than four games this season, the last week has seen them get a lot closer to full strength, which I think is super encouraging, super exciting, and really super important. So those are the two good pieces of news. And what do you know if you're a Clippers fan, they're related to health, which is super ironic. So I wanted to end things there because there's not a whole lot more to break down. I was planning on keeping this around a half hour. I just wanted to hop on and give you guys something because, I mean, man, you probably think where the heck have I been? And again, I know my audience isn't super massive or anything where I got you know, people waiting on this eagerly, but I know some of you guys are, you know, tapped in and I really appreciate that. So if that's you, thank you so much for not only tuning in, but for listening to the end, that truly does mean a lot. You guys are the best. You make what I do so much fun and I'm going to be running it back on Monday. So it's a few days in between this episode and the next episode until then you guys, as always much love and go Clippers.